Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Just a quick reminder before this episode of CoronaPod. Next week, on the 17th of December, we're going to be talking all things Omicron. And that includes answering as many of your questions as possible. We've already had loads sent in, but if you have a burning question that you want to ask about Omicron or about scientists' response to it, then you can still get in touch on Twitter at Nature Podcast or via email podcast at nature.com. But for now, let's get back to this episode of Coronapod, in which we're going to delve back into long COVID. Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine. Hello and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker and joining me this week for the second week in a row, you're very popular at the moment, is reporter Heidi Ledford. Heidi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. This week, we've got another story, which is a topic that I've really wanted to cover on Coronapod for a while. And and lo and behold, you've written a feature about it, which is all about long COVID and vaccines. So we've talked a bit about long COVID. We've certainly talked a lot about vaccines, but we haven't really talked about how those two things interact. And it's a really big question, especially for people that may be younger, maybe lower risk, where death from COVID or really severe illness isn't as big a threat. But long COVID does seem to be, you know, significantly more of a threat than severe illness in those kind of categories. There's lots of debate about young people being vaccinated, for example. I just think there's an awful lot of kind of juicy science to dig into here. And you have published a story that says, do vaccines protect against long COVID? What the data say? Can you give a one-line sum up of the answer to that question? Which I'm guessing is, we don't really know. Yeah, that's the heartbreaking thing. There are data that are coming in and um, they're interesting to look at. They are a little bit all over the map at the moment. And long COVID, I think in particular, is a very difficult syndrome to study. It's amorphous. It's poorly defined. It is really staggering when you look at the papers and you see how differently long COVID is defined in, in one paper versus another. And then we're trying to sort of draw some sort of common meaning out of these numbers that we get. And it's, it's a big challenge. And as part of that challenge, we're going to try to dig into some of the kind of conflicting data, some of the hints and so on. I think it would be good to start off with, as you said, long COVID is very poorly defined. Is there any kind of consensus understanding of what long COVID might actually be? Like what's causing long COVID or why people might be suffering from the symptoms of long COVID? Yeah, I can't say there's necessarily a consensus, but I can say there are sort of two dominant hypotheses, I think, at the moment. And one is the sort of viral reservoir hypothesis. And that's the idea that even though you've cleared the infection from, say, your upper respiratory tract, that the virus is still lurking somewhere in the body and causing problems. So that's one idea. 
The other idea is the sort of, what would be the word, maybe hyperactive immune response hypothesis. And that would be that, you know, your immune system in trying to deal with the coronavirus has launched this massive all-out attack on it. Unfortunately, some aspects of that attack may not have been terribly specific to the virus, and you may develop some autoimmunity problems where your immune system has started to target some of your body's own tissues. So that's another hypothesis, and that could lead then to some of the some of the issues with long COVID. I guess the reason I ask about these is hypotheses like this become quite useful when we start to discuss how and why a vaccination might impact you know, long COVID. Because depending on which of those hypotheses you go with, or perhaps a mixture of both, it could give you more or less reason to believe that the vaccine might actually be helpful. I think you made a really good point there too, that it could be both. I mean, it's not necessarily one or the other. The symptoms that we see are so wide and varying. Um, You know, it could be a number of different causes. But as far as how that feeds into the vaccine, so you could imagine with either of these two hypotheses, let's say, you could imagine that vaccines might help. They might reduce the chance of this happening. Um, If you have an immune system that's already primed and ready to clear the virus, it's not going to linger in the body for as long. It doesn't have as much of an opportunity to establish a reservoir in some secret tissue somewhere in your body. So there's a chance then that if you're vaccinated, maybe with the viral reservoir idea, that helps reduce the chances of that occurring. As far as the immune response, if you have an immune system that's already primed and ready to go against SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus, you're less likely to get the sort of broader, all hands on deck immune response that could end up targeting the body's own tissues. So again, you could imagine that vaccines might help with this problem because you've already primed the immune system for a more specific attack. The caveat to both of these things is that, you know, in biology and medicine, you can draw all kinds of little schematics on napkins and come up with all kinds of cool, like conceptual links between things. And it, it doesn't always hold up right in the body and in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. These these hypothetical links can be drawn. But I guess that's what takes us to what I, I think is going to make up the majority of the rest of this conversation, which is trying to understand some of that real world data. So there are a lot of studies that are going on to try to get a handle on what is actually happening in the real world. And there's just so many different ways you can look at this. You can look at people that have breakthrough infections. You can look at people that have been vaccinated after they've contracted COVID with one dose or whatever, and try to see variation in all of these different things. Can you give us a couple of explanations of how scientists are trying to go about studying this? Yeah, there have been a few studies that have been either published or there have been preprints released. Um, One of the earlier ones and one of the bigger ones was looking at an app that people have on their phones to record their symptoms and was looking at data from that. And that one found that if you had been vaccinated, that there was a 50% less chance that you would develop these long-lasting symptoms from your COVID infection, which we will use as a proxy for long COVID. And I think it was defining maybe at four weeks and longer after your infection, you were still experiencing some symptoms consistently during that time. So that was that was one data set. Now that's relying on a smartphone app. That means that the people who are using this are the people who have a smartphone, have the time and the inclination to find out about this program, enroll in it, participate in it, and so on. So you may at that point then be leaving out some of the more marginalized communities that are most hit by COVID and by long COVID. But it, it, it gives you, you know, that's one angle, that's one way to look at it and to accumulate a lot of data. There was another study that was quite large and was looking at electronic medical records, mostly from the United States. And that one didn't find an impact of vaccination on the risk of getting long COVID, or at least of developing symptoms that are associated with long COVID in the way that they defined it. But that one's looking at electronic medical records, and you don't 
necessarily go to your doctor, you know, if you have a headache that's been lasting for, for several weeks, or if you have a cough that's lingering or you're fatigued, you know, you might be skewing a bit towards the more severe symptoms in that particular study design. I should add that also, you know, I think it was on the day that we published this maybe, or at least close to that time, a preprint came out from another group looking at electronic medical records, also primarily from the United States. And that one found that people who were vaccinated, even with just one dose, were 8.8 times less likely to report having more than one long COVID symptom. And this was 12 to 20 weeks after diagnosis. So in each of these studies, they've defined, you know, what they're looking at a bit differently. Each of these studies have also reached, you know, fairly different conclusions. So it's, it's hard to put a number on it, I guess, at this point. It seems like the messages that we can take so far really are just that cases of long COVID are still very possible if you've been vaccinated and you, if you experience a breakthrough infection. And it's something to keep in mind. We hinge so many of our policies and maybe our own personal behavior on the idea that we're so well protected against severe illness and hospitalization. But long COVID can arise from a mild illness, from a from an asymptomatic infection, right? So you know, that, that is still a risk that we need to be bearing in mind. Absolutely. And I think the real elephant in the room here is that these various studies that you're talking about, which have given incredibly varied responses, all of these are talking about breakthrough infections. They're talking about people who get infected after being vaccinated and then the possibility of that group of people developing long COVID symptoms. The thing that we should add to this, which is a huge extra factor, is that having a vaccination also decreases the chance of you getting COVID in the first place very significantly. And you can't get long COVID without contracting COVID. And so all of these numbers that we're talking about, these percentage increases, are in theory on top of the existing very large percentage increase, which we do know for sure, of benefit you get from being vaccinated in the first place, because it means you are less likely to get COVID. Yeah, that's right. If your question is just, you know, if I get vaccinated, will I be less likely to get long COVID? Answer is yes, unambiguously, because your, your chance of being infected is so much lower. But, you know, if your question is, if I get vaccinated and I get a breakthrough case of COVID, do I have less of a chance of developing long COVID as someone who wasn't vaccinated and developed COVID? And that's where we're trying to pick apart the data. And you can also see that in that lies part of the problem as well, because you need big sample sizes to get enough infections among the people who are vaccinated to then study the fraction of those who develop long COVID and then maybe, you know, break it down into, well, which symptoms linger or don't, or is it the more severe or the less severe, all of that. It takes a really big study, I think, to get meaningful numbers on these questions. And that's part of what makes it so difficult to study. And and what about people, you know, there was a lot of people around the world that were infected with COVID before vaccines even existed, before there was a possibility to, to have a vaccine. What about people that have received vaccine doses after infection that may be suffering with long COVID? Is there any impact that's been shown there? I mean, it looks like there might be. It was soon after I think the vaccination program started to really kick off that we started to hear these anecdotal reports of people who did have long COVID and then were getting vaccinated and were feeling some relief from some of their long COVID symptoms after vaccination. Those anecdotal reports came in and then I know there are some scientists now who are studying that more closely. It's another situation where, you know, the numbers aren't really firm because a lot of it's based on surveys and so on. And you, you get into, well, who answered the survey and who didn't and, and so on. But there is a sense that there does seem to be a significant 
chunk of people who did experience long COVID prior to being vaccinated and did feel some relief from those symptoms. There's a smaller chunk of people who say they felt their symptoms got worse after vaccination as well. So it's, you know, there's a bit of a control group in there as well. But yeah, it's something it would be quite interesting to study to find out, you know, if you fired up your immune system in response to this vaccine, is that making your symptoms better? Because it will not only tell us something about, you know, how these people are doing, but also might give us some clues as to what the cause of long COVID is. Absolutely. And as time goes on, and more health records are being gathered, because a lot of people have been through health systems, the access to data does increase. And then also as vaccination becomes, you know, more and more widespread, that then we'll be able to collect more data, particularly as children become vaccinated, then we can learn more about the impact of vaccination on the risk of long COVID in, in children. I think with all of this, you know, there's a very large project, for example, in the United States, it's gotten a big chunk of government funding. And they are hoping to better define long COVID, which is kind of the first step you need to take to to make sense of the data. It's an absolutely logical and necessary thing to do. I'm sure they're going as fast as they possibly can, the resources they have, but it's still, it's just hard because you know it's going to take a long time. (laughs) You know, they're going to have to enroll so many thousands of people into the study that they're going to have to parse through that data. And that will be just to define things so that you can study it more rigorously going forward. And it's, it is a bit hard to think about. I mean, these projects are underway, but we need the data now, right? I mean, policies are being made. People are deciding, you know, for themselves what their risk of this or that is. It's hard to, to see how long it takes, I guess, to get solid data on this. Absolutely. But the urgency is very clear. I mean, as part of this feature, you also spoke to rehabilitation centres to discuss, you know, what their experience of long COVID has been. And it's, you know, reading this is really striking. Yeah, that's rough. I mean, these are some of the more extreme cases as well, right? This part of the problem is that with long COVID, we, we sort of tend to lump together the person who has a lingering cough with the person who can't get out of bed anymore, right? So some of these rehabilitation centres, they are seeing some of the more extreme cases, but it's a very high percentage of them haven't been able to work the way they used to. We're suffering from significant cognitive difficulty with things like memory, thinking, analyzing, speaking. The other thing I guess that really struck me, though, in talking to uh, the director for one of these centers was he was saying, you know, by the time people get to us, they've been to so many doctors and, you know, they've had this long, like, sort of diagnostic odyssey. And it it sort of surprised me because I, I really thought awareness about long COVID was more broad than that. I don't know. It, it Maybe just because of where we work, maybe we're more exposed. But it, I feel like on a personal level, I've known several people who've, who've dealt with long COVID by this point. I feel like a lot of people do know people who've, who've gone through that experience if they haven't experienced it themselves. And so it's surprising to me, I guess, how difficult it is to still get a, a diagnosis on that. Yeah, I mean, on Coronapod, we've talked, for example, about these metrics called dallies and qualies, a different way to measure the impact of a pandemic or a disease or any kind of health problem, really, which is to try to look at these longer term impact for, for people that might not remember. Dally stands for disability adjusted life year, quali is quality adjusted life year. And so you're trying to find a way to measure something other than just death or hospitalization, which are quite blunt ways of measuring it. Those kinds of metrics still don't seem to get the prominence that death or hospitalization do. But some of the quotes that are in this story, especially about young people, for example, are really, really striking to me. You know, there's there's a quote in here from a physiotherapist that said, if you're young and healthy, death from COVID might be highly unlikely, but severe debilitation is not. And I think those kinds of messages still aren't really reaching people as prominently. But that is what you're hearing from people that are running these rehabilitation centres, which have had huge increases in the number of patients they're having to deal with, for example, post-COVID. Yeah, I mean, the person that you're talking about, that centre is hugely oversubscribed, right, with tons of people waiting to get in just, you know, for treatment. It is really striking how the the situation with long COVID and the possibility of long-term disability gets overlooked in a lot of government 
discussions, at least that I hear, you know, a lot of it's really focused on, oh, yes, well, our infection rate's going up, but, you know, what does it mean for hospitalizations and death? And I guess to some extent that's because they're trying to manage a healthcare system and keep it from collapsing, but at the same time, you know, your healthcare system's going to come under strain if you have a great deal of disability in your country as well. But we don't have firm numbers to give them either. So I don't, you know, it's it's hard to say exactly, you know, how they should factor it into their calculations because we don't know really how big the problem is, how long the syndrome is going to last for most people. Yeah, it's it's a really, it's a difficult problem. And that's why it's so frustrating that it takes so long to get the data, I think. It's because we, we need it now. <laughs> Absolutely. And in a way, it's what's frustrating about this conversation at all is I've been wanting to talk about long COVID and vaccinations for quite some time. And I knew coming into this conversation, in part because I've read your feature, but also because I've been trying to follow this in my own reporting as well, that we weren't going to get an answer. And we probably aren't going to get a clear answer for this for quite a long time. But what we do have is a lot of compelling, interesting data and a lot of questions. And in a way, sometimes when you can better define the question, even if you don't have an answer, it does help us move forward. And that seems to be what's happening now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think one other thing that's important to keep in mind and was a point we tried to make in the piece is that, you know, as countries who are fortunate and rich enough to have widespread vaccination, as they move into a phase of the pandemic where, you know, they feel relatively protected from hospitalization and death, people may not feel as much of a need to get tested for a coronavirus infection. And that can lead to problems for them as well when we talk about this diagnostic odyssey that some people have to go on in order to get a diagnosis. If you don't have that test result saying that you had COVID, you know, it makes it very difficult for doctors to to diagnose what's going on if you have problems later on. So, you know, in the absence of this data, and while we do know that it, it at least is still a possibility, we know that for certain for people who are vaccinated, you can still get long COVID. You know, it is important to keep testing to make sure that you know if you have become infected. The scientists that you've been speaking to that have been doing these studies specifically about the impact or lack of impact of vaccination on developing long COVID, have they been surprised by their own results? Was there a feeling of what scientists expected to happen versus what they're seeing? Or is this kind of all par for the course? You know, I did, um, a couple of people did say they were disappointed at not seeing a higher protection against long COVID. Again, this is just among the breakthrough infections. And overall, you are protected more against infection and therefore against long COVID. But they were hoping to see, you know, among those breakthrough infections, more of a protection against developing long COVID, because we do sort of think of it as a more severe manifestation of the disease. And we're hoping that, you know, the vaccines will reduce that. So yeah, I do think there was some disappointment, but it's, you know, it's also a little bit, well, which data do you look at? I mean, we have one study, big study, that didn't find an impact versus, you know, another study that found that your chance of developing more than one long COVID symptom for more than 12 weeks was reduced by almost ninefold, right? So it's the data is a little all over the map. Well, I mean, I again, this is something that I'm going to want to follow as time goes on, as more data is gathered, and as hospital records catch up with the kind of alternative forms of data gathering that we've seen, there is always going to be more data and more data, hopefully, will always get us closer to some answers. For now, though, Heidi, I've taken up enough of your time. I'll speak to you again soon. And thank you so much. Thank you, Noah. It's always a pleasure. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.